Hi, I'm Homer Hargrove and I'm the pastor of Grave Top Church. I hope that today's message inspires you and that connecting with our church family today truly makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Uh, welcome to Grave Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. And today we are continuing our series, Why You Scared. Why You Scared. And specifically, we're going to be talking about why you scared to be used by God. Why you scared be used by God. And I think within this talk today, we're really going to be identifying the fears and the hesitations that we have when it comes to extending ourselves for Christianity, for the gospel message. And I, I think there's a big hesitation and fear when it comes to the idea of God using me, God using you. We have this, uh, this idea that us being used for something meaningful in the kingdom of God is is really uh, we're unqualified. We're, we feel like we're not good enough. We're not worthy enough. We're not holy enough. We're we're simply not ready enough. And I think that the reason that we use these ideas to excuse ourselves from being used by God is not really based on the Bible. It's not based on reality either. They are solely based in our fears, in our fears. And today, we're going to unpack those fears and see for ourselves how God can use just about anybody. And if he can use just about anybody, why not you? Why not you? That being said, I want to share this, uh, this passage of scripture to kind of get us in the mood. In Isaiah chapter 6. Starting in verse 1, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. And it says, it was the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. You ever had a moment in your life, that moment where you feel like you saw God in your life? Maybe not like a manifestation of an apparition or a cloud, but you know that you saw God in some way in your life. And he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim. Each having six wings, with two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I'm doomed. For I am a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with the burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. Whom, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. See, I feel like Isaiah has this, the same kind of hesitations that we have. Notice that this first, the first scene of his response to everything that he's seen is I'm a dead man. You ever had that fear? Uh, if anyone's ever told you, I can't go to church, the church will burn down. <laughs> See, we have this, this fear of really facing God. We have this hesitation, and we initially are reluctant 
to face God, even in private prayer, whether it's private prayer, whether it's showing up to church, because we have this idea of God being so much, so holy, so awesome, that we as average people who make mistakes, who have struggles, who have sins, who have other issues, how can we face God, let alone be, be used by God? And the scene in which the angel of the Lord goes and he gets a, the coal with tongs, and, and it, he goes to atone the guilt of Isaiah, See, the hot coal touching his lips is a prophetic symbolism of how the confession of Jesus, the confession of faith, atones our guilt. See, it touched his lips. And just like Jesus described, he's like this, this, uh, he's described as this all-consuming fire. The Holy Spirit is always described as fire. God represents himself as fire. And it shows this hot coal that touched his lips. And notice that the angel uses tongs to put this hot coal on Isaiah's lips. Because angels actually don't have forgiveness like mankind does. Only mankind has forgiveness. God created forgiveness for, for you and I. That's why he had used tongs, but it touched Isaiah. And when we understand this moment in which his guilt was removed, it was only at that point where he realized he was able to stand up and say, here I am. Send me. And I want, I want someone here to say, here I am. It's okay. Say, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. Yeah, yeah, okay. Whoa. Kind of felt a little weird, right? Here I am. And that's really the first step. When we come to church, that's like our moment of saying, here I am, God. And maybe some of us are like, here I am. <laughs> and I hope that and pray that after the end of this message today that you'll be able to say, send me. And for me, when I first gave my life to Christ, I was really rough around the edges. I've shared this a lot. A lot of people uh, already know that I was not raised in church. And when I first gave my life to Christ, I still had some issues, you know. <laughs> but I found out years later that when I first started going to church, I gave my life to Christ first, then I finally got invited to church. And I found out later that all the other kids in the youth group, the leaders, the, the fellow peers, that they all told me later that they never thought I was going to keep going after two weeks. I mean, talk about some, some gossip queens, right? I mean, talk about, he's not going to last more than two weeks. Like, how do you even start a conversation like that? How do you live with yourself? How do you sleep at night? But see, that I had not only did the people I go to church with have very low expectations, but given I was pretty rough around the edges, okay? So what if I almost hit that guy at the first youth event? He had it coming. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> but you see, not only did the fellow people at church have this low expectation, but even my own family, when I first gave my life to Christ, it's like, oh boy, it's, here's, in a, here's that phase. And there's a whole, there's so much low, low, low expectation, even from my own family members. This is just a phase. You'll get over it. It's just because your life was, was difficult, and so now you're just desperate for something, but you'll get past it. <laughs> I have family members discredit and try to denounce my faith, trying to talk me out of my faith. Even my own peers, my friends, 
I mean, before I gave my life to Christ, I had some rowdy friends I would associate with. People that I would fight with, fight for. And I'm talking about guys that, that when we didn't have anywhere to sleep, we would sleep outside together. When we didn't have any food, we would be hungry together. We would steal food together to eat. And when I gave my life to Christ, shortly after, not one of those friends continued to talk to me. See, that, that expectation really low. Even other people at church, I remember so many times saying, oh, that fire will pass. Yeah, but I was like that once. And here I am years later, and I'm a Christian. It's been over 12 years now, and I'm a Christian who brings other people to Christ. I had, I had all the low expectations that we have of ourselves. It's like, you, you ever have that moment where it's like, well, thank you for sharing all of your thoughts. I, I always wanted to have my insecurities voiced to me by another person. <laughs> thank you for sharing all of my, my inner critic out loud. I really appreciate that. See, we don't even need anyone to share those low expectations when it comes to being used by God because we do that for ourselves and we count ourselves out. Be a Christian who brings others to Christ. I want us to make a transition and I want us to go into this message because the first thing you have to do in order to get to that point of sin me is you have to overcome something within your mind. And that is understanding that you're not that bad. You're not that bad. Someone look at your neighbor and say, you're not that bad. You're not that bad. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> it's hard for you to say, right? See, you're not limited to your biggest weakness. You are not limited to your biggest weakness. I want us to look at the life of Moses because Moses is typically remembered for being Israel's first leader out of Egypt. He's remembered for being the spokesperson and tool for communicating and bringing about the nine plagues of Egypt, communicating from God to the people. And he helped deliver his own people from oppression, even when they didn't believe in him. And he's known for parting the, the Red Sea in other miraculous moments. But rather than looking at his strengths and his greatest moments, I want us to look at his weakest and most insecure moments so that we can better understand his humanity, his humanity through his greatest moments. Let's take a look at the moment in which God first spoke to him. And it's in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 2 through 6. And it says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Look how it ends. It says, when Moses heard this, he covered his face. Why? Because he was afraid to look at God. He was afraid to look at God. See, his, his first realization of God speaking to him is 
is to cover himself, to hide, because of the same exact reasons we feel that. That feeling of being exposed, that feeling of like God, who knows everything about me, is speaking to me. And we have this fear. And notice how he has the same kind of response. Here I am. It's like that, that little bit. But once he realized that God is about to send him on a mission, he's like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. And I want us to look at this idea that his initial insecurity and fear is the same as ours, is not being enough in some way to really be that close to God, let alone be used by God. And think about this moment in which God... God tells him to take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. I want us to unpack this for a moment because one, Moses did not realize he was in the presence of God. How many times have you told yourself or, or believed the idea that you do not feel close to God? I don't know how many times I've heard people, Christians, believers say, I just don't feel close to God right now. I feel far from God. I don't know how to connect with Him. Moses didn't even realize he was standing in the very presence of God. And that's why I believe so often that people don't realize, you don't realize how truly close you are to God without even realizing it. And the moment that God says, take off your sandals, you're standing in my presence, when you first read that, it almost, you, I feel like it's always been taught in this reverent way. In this reverent way. Like, almost like God was putting up a wall between him and Moses. But when you think about the context, even, even in the culture, you only take off your sandals when you go into someone's home. A place of trust. A place of intimacy. A place of personal connection. And God was saying, welcome in, buddy. Take your, take your shoes off. You're in my presence. You're in my home. It was, it was actually not a wall of reverence that God was setting up, but a wall of intimacy that, that he was inviting Moses into. When you even think about the idea of like the, the presence of God being underneath his feet, he said, Get, take off everything that's, that is between you and me. I want to feel you. I want you. Take away everything else. You don't need those. It was intimacy. And after this part of the passage, Moses to be used to set people free. He was called to be used to set people free. But Moses, his initial response is, is him saying why he can't. I can't lead. I can't talk good. He's literally telling God this. I can't talk good. <laughs> they won't, they, he says, they won't believe me. They're not going to listen to me. And he looked at all of his weaknesses as reasons to which he couldn't be used by God. The same way that all of us do. We limit ourselves as we view our weaknesses. And even in verse 13, there's a point which he literally says, Lord, please Send anyone else. Send anybody else. Anybody else is better than me. Have you noticed that we often believe, it's easier to believe that God loves other people, but it's hard to believe that he loves you? Say, anybody else God can love, but I got the real problems. God can use anybody else, yes. 
But not me, though. Anybody else but me. Moses felt the same anxious and self-defeating thoughts that we each have when we think of why we couldn't possibly be used by God. And why? Because of the way we view ourselves. Someone say, you're not that bad. You're not that bad. Yeah, you're kind of like in your fields now. See, in all of this, God still called him and used him to do something incredibly meaningful for the lives of others. See, God sees us in our full potential even when we don't realize it ourselves. He sees the gold in us when all we can see is the dirt. We must understand that every single human being has weaknesses. We know that, but let's really, really understand that. Every single human being has weaknesses, and if we didn't, we would never need each other. We would never need a team. We would never need one another. In fact, we wouldn't even need God. But with all of our weaknesses, we are able to find the grace in God and in other people. It only better shows our potential when we join something that is bigger than ourselves. And what is bigger than the kingdom of God? What's bigger than the kingdom of God? So now that we understand this truth, I want to talk about the next mindset shift, and that is, if you answer the call of God and you really say, send me, you must understand that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. And that's because nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. So look around, say, nobody's perfect. Yeah, yeah, nobody's perfect. It's okay. See, but with that, people who never try will never make mistakes. People who never try will never make mistakes. The next person that I want us to look at is Peter. Peter, you know, we're going from the Old Testament, New Testament. It's a very well-rounded message today. Peter is known for being one of the most closest and tenacious disciples of Jesus Christ. He was almost like intrusive, okay? Even in the, in the tomb, when, when John and Peter ran to the tomb to see if Jesus' body was in there, John was respectful enough to peek in. Peter just walks on in. Who goes into a place like that? Like just stepping on dead people's bones on graveyards? You ever go to a cemetery and like just like with no reverence? Like, like oh, I didn't even realize I was staying on Sam over here. See, Peter, he's, he's so tenacious and he walked on water with Jesus. He was the first to confess Jesus as the Messiah. He was the one who ushered in the first major conversion of Christians at Pentecost. He did miracles. He planted churches. He did so much more. And with all the good that he did, I want us to look at how he made mistakes. I want us to look at how he made mistakes. One of the biggest mistakes that's usually referenced about Peter, is the moment in which he denied Jesus three times. In one single moment, he denied Jesus three times. And why did he do that? Out of fear. It's a whole tone of this month. Why are you scared? Why are you scared, Peter? Out of fear, he threw off his faith and his role. Not just being a follower of Jesus, but being a worker of Jesus. He was already casting out demons in Jesus' name. He was proclaiming the good news. He was helping do miracles and healings. 
He was a worker of Jesus, but out of fear, he threw that off. See, this was a big mistake. This is a really big mistake. Imagine if I went to, if I went to groups of people and started telling them that I wasn't really married to Lauren. That's, that's how you get beat up real quick, right? <laughs> see, see, not only would that be incredibly hurtful to her, but it would be detrimental and damaging to our relationship, to my role as her spouse. And it would be, it'd be really hard to recover from a mistake like that. For Peter, the conversation in which Jesus confronts Peter about his mistakes, do you all remember how it ends? He promotes Peter to apostle. In the book of John, it, after Jesus resurrected and he confronts Peter, saying, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? And he confronts him, and then he immediately promotes him to apostle. He, he doesn't demote him. He promotes him after his biggest mistake. His biggest mistake, he goes from student to teacher. After his biggest mistake, Jesus is like, all right, you're ready now. <laughs> Get ready, kiddo. We're going to change the world together. Because <laughs> now that we understand that he's not perfect, he's able to really be imparted by the grace of God. Does, does the Bible not say it's through our weakness that God shows his grace? And now we could stop here. See, we could stop here and just start high-fiving like, yeah, we can make it. Peter grew after his biggest mistake. And that would just be the end of the story. But I want to take it a step further because a lot of times we just imagine you're allowed one mistake. <laughs> you're allowed one and you better learn from it and never make a mistake again or it will kill you. <laughs> right? See, I want to take us a step further because this is not the last mistake of Peter. He goes on to doing great and mighty things for the kingdom of God. He, he kills it. He's just crushing it in ministry. And we still get to see his humanity and all of his success as he's being used by God. In Galatians chapter 2, we see this passage. Paul talking says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. I feel like I'm like Paul, right? Like, just getting people's faces. <laughs> For what he did was very wrong. What he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. This is a, this is a messed up thing that Peter does. Imagine if at Gravetop Church, I was like, yeah, everybody's welcome here. I was like, oh man, like we always get complimented out, like come as you are, you're like family. It, and everyone feels like just so accepted right away, right? Imagine if we had an event where some other churches came or some other pastors came and I acted like we weren't friends. Would you not just get your feelings completely hurt? Would you not feel confused about your faith? 
Would you not feel confused about everything that you believed in while learning at Great Top Church? See, that's what Peter did. It's a big boo-boo, a big mistake. And why did he do that? Out of fear. Out of fear. And Paul, he had the heart, he had the grace and the passion to confront Peter on this major issue, this theological, this character issue. While Peter and Peter was able to receive this correction moment and grow from it, or even better, he reset his heart in this moment. And this mistake he made, being as big as it was, it affected the people that looked at him. And after everything Peter had experienced, he learned from, he was still not exempt from needing the grace of God to cover him in his imperfect moments. Peter still needed the grace of God after doing miracles, after planting churches, after, after being the first person to bring to usher in Gentiles, non-Jewish believers into the kingdom of God. He still made mistakes. He was so imperfect. So throw off the idea that you need to reach this perfect image of yourself, this perfect idea of yourself before you can extend yourself for the kingdom of God. You're never going to be perfect enough. You're never going to be ready enough. The idea, that idea is a lie. It's a lie that is stopping you from being able to make a difference in other people's lives. There are real people that you could making, be making a positive, incredible impact and difference in their life if you were to stop being, believing the lie that you're supposed to be perfect. You will always make mistakes. All you need to do when you make them is simply get back up after you fall. Just do your best and forget the rest. Do your best and forget the rest. And now that we understand the fact that our potential, what well, we've learned, we learned that our potential goes way beyond our weakness. And now we can throw off our hesitations of needing to be perfect before we can really get started or be, be used by God. Now let's talk about one last thing. And that is people are waiting. People are waiting. Are waiting. I want to share this last verse in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 38. It says, When he saw the crowds, Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. No one else can reach certain people like you can. No one else can reach certain people like you can. When Jesus saw people, his heart broke for them. In this moment, this very verse that Jesus is talking, what happened was the disciples found a place for him to rest because he had just got done ministering to hundreds and thousands of people. And while they went to go look for food, he sat by a well and had that whole conversation with the woman at the well in which he leads her to understand him as a Messiah. And what does she do in this moment that Jesus is like, just one more, just one more. She went and told the whole town and the whole town came out to him and starts listening to him preach and minister some more in the moment that he was supposed to be taking a break. But see, why would he be willing to do that is because Food didn't matter. It's in this moment he says, I have a nourishment that you don't know about. And he's talking about the ministry of God, the work of God. 
And he's, his heart just breaks for the individual. His heart breaks for people. And he looked at people as people who are loved by God. An individual who is loved by God and who needs meaningful connection. Who needs meaningful connection. And that's why Jesus would constantly put people above himself. There's people that he needed to reach. And the role of the shepherd was to guide, protect, gather, and feed the flock. And, and Jesus, the Son of God, is saying to his disciples in this verse, he's saying in this verse, guys, we need more help. Jesus in this part, he's, it was, he was supposed to be taking a break. And he's saying, Jesus, you need to eat something. He says, we need more help. Because we're not, I can't just stop when these people need somebody. So we need more help. We can't do this alone. Each one of us has a calling on our life to extend the kingdom of God in some way. In some way. And the Bible talks in depth about all the different ways that we're able to do that. But if we don't submit our hearts to that, to that calling of God, we will never get to that place of God send me. God send me. It doesn't mean that we have to know exactly what that looks like. It simply starts with the willingness to have God use you. See, willingness is one of the most valuable things you could ever have in your walk with God. Willingness. Willingness. And I believe that God will, will provide supernaturally the ability to do anything you need to do as long as you're willing to do that thing. I want to share one last story. After I finished, after I finished uh, a ministry school, I, I moved back to a town in Del Rio and I started working again. And I remember uh, I, I, was, I was delivering oil, batteries, tires, and I would go to different businesses in town and and just kind of try to sell something, you know. And I went to this oil train spot, and when I was there trying to sell some oil, I ran into this guy I went to high school with. And I was like, Rogelio! And we were like, oh man, it's good to see you! And we're just like, you know, catching up. You're like, Rogelio, that's a unique name, I know. And, and we kind of, we were catching up. I was like, oh man, well, have a good life. It's, you know, kind of one of those moments. And as I was walking back to my car, my truck, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit was impressing my heart. Go talk to him about Jesus. And I was like, oh, it's awkward. Like, I already left. <laughs> I already walked away, you got. Like, just go talk to him about Jesus. Invite him to church, something. And I was like, oh, it's like, it didn't happen organically. You know, it's, <laughs> I, I, it doesn't feel right. It feels awkward. Like, I don't want to force it. It's just, and I started making all these reasons of why I couldn't. But the real reason was because I was afraid. I was afraid. And I got into the truck and I literally started my truck. And I felt so convicted. I was like, Ugh! and I got out of the truck and started stomping back up to the, to the shop. And I saw that Rogelio, and he kind of like glanced like, oh, I must have forgot something. And he went into the, to the restroom. And I was like, oh, he went to the restroom. I can't, God. And so <laughs> I went back and drove off as fast as I could. And I told myself, Next time, next time, next time I'll talk to him for sure. It'll be better the next time. Well, the next time it just, you know, <laughs> it didn't happen organically. Is, 
I'll just, you know, show him that I'm a good person. And I'm like, and he'll see Jesus like that over, you know, the course of weeks and months. And I was like, no, well, next time I'll talk to him. Next time I'll invite him to church or something. And that just kept happening for several weeks. And one day I show up in the shop and I was kind of looking around. I didn't see my friend. And I asked the owner, I was like, hey, where's Rogelio? And he looked up at me and he was signing something. He's like, oh, you didn't hear? He, he got in a fatal car accident. He died over the weekend. And I felt the most sobering chill go down my spine. And I still get goosebumps when I share this story. And I felt just like this shiver down me, knowing that I was supposed to share a life-giving message to this man. But I made excuses of why I couldn't. The real reason was because I was afraid. See, I started this story telling you about how I'm a Christian who leads others to Christ, but I wasn't always like that. This moment, it changed me. It changed me because I was able to see the reality of how serious the message of God, the work of God is. And I urge you to join me today by saying, Lord, send me wherever you want me to go. God, I want to be used by you. I want to be a worker for your flock. I want to be used to build your kingdom and to better your people. I want to show your grace because I have been given grace because life is short. And there's certain people that no one else will be able to reach like I can. With that being said, I want us to close our eyes and bow our heads. If you're here, and maybe you're at the starting place, maybe you're trying to get, just start with, here I am, God. You can't even think about, Lord, send me. You're still thinking about, here I am. And when you, I want you to just have this moment to yourself with God. And maybe, here I am, God. That's not just, here I am. But really, be completely intimate and transparent with God. Not just, here I am, but... God, here is all that I am. The weak parts, the parts that make mistakes, the insecure parts, the afraid parts. Here is the best that I am and the worst that I am. Here I am, God. And maybe you've never been in that place before, but right now you feel that's exactly where you need to be. That all just starts with having that, con that conversation with Jesus. By talking to Jesus. And so if that's you here today and you want to make that decision, a real choice to put your trust in the saving message of Jesus is because of His work, that confession of faith in Jesus that we're able to have all our atonement, to have that, that guilt taken away, that fear taken away, that hesitation taken away. And if you're here and you want to do that, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. See your hands. See all your hands. So just there to yourself, I want you to just talk to Jesus. You might even just need to start by saying, God, here I am. The Bible says in the book of Romans, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who He says He is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you have a genuine heart, that's what God really cares about. And talk to Jesus yourself. Acknowledge who He is, the Son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's all it takes 
to start this journey with Him, this relationship with Him. The word repentance is not a mean, filthy word. It simply translates to to change direction. And we ha- when we have that conversation with Jesus, that's what we're doing. We're having a change direction moment in our lives. Don't let another day go by, but have that conversation with Him today. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can talk to Him yourself. I, I really believe that right now you are on holy ground. You are in the presence of God. You're already there. You can talk to Him. Now while they're doing that, for the rest of you, if you're here, and at the end of this message, you feel this pulling in your heart to say, God, send me. I don't know what that looks like, but God, I want to be willing. With every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand if that's you. I see all your hands. So now I'm going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you impart your presence, your power, your giftings in each of these people, that they would be surprised even this week to see your Holy Spirit working and moving through them, that you present opportunities for them to see your power move through them this week, that they would be able to practice that willingness. And I pray, Lord, that you would show them the grace of God that they need to be able to be used by you. I pray that you give them confidence and boldness to do whatever it is that you're calling them to do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hey, I hope that you enjoyed today's message. If you did, there's several different ways to connect. First is by subscribing to our show, leaving a review or a comment. Second is by going to gravetopchurch.com and clicking the Get Connected tab so that we can connect with you as an individual. And third is if this ministry has made an impact in your life and you want to help us to continue to reach others, then you can give online by clicking the Give tab. Until next time, thank you for being a part of Gravetop Church.